Okay. Mainline coil. Artificial line coil. New armature lever. Separate batteries, supplementaries. All new contrivances. It's the 11th Street Telegram, your premier anachronistic news and entertainment program, coming to you from the offices of the 11th Street Telegraph Agency. Malazan of Benville, speaking high voice. Keep speaking on in your voice while Malazan of Hey, it's another episode of the 11th Street Telegram, the, uh... Obscurely named podcasts that everyone likes to listen to. We've been voted number one by the Podcasters Association of America. Right. The P the PAA. Yep. <laughs> I um and uh so uh Bill Yeah that, that's you. You're mm-hmm. you are You've uh, well, we've branched out from from where the telegram normally is. Right. I mean, where it started from, I should say. That's true. What happened yeah. was I established a branch office in Minneapolis, and then you came over and took over that branch office in Minneapolis. That's yeah. Well, because the Florida office was having problems. The Florida there office was, is basically fully abandoned at this. It's point. abandoned. I mean, we couldn't. There were issues with the landlords, mm. big, <laughs> big issues with the landlords. Big issues with the landlords, yeah. Um, and, you know, we weren't getting as much foot traffic as we wanted into yeah. the Telegram um, offices. Yeah, that's true. So, um, so yeah, I I moved up, I decided to move up here to establish, mm-hmm. you know, we, we basically relocated home base yeah. for a minute, for a little bit. Right. To Minneapolis. But then, but now, you know, I mean, we want our coverage to be all over the place. So you're now at, um, you're, you're getting our Missouri office going. Right. The four states office. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be right. on the front lines in, of the most. In the ra- heartland. Uh, yeah. I'm very uh, much in the heartland. Uh, you want to be on the front lines of where the most racist things happen. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm afraid. Well. I'm in the ballpark. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, there's racist stuff that happens other places. Mm-hmm. This is true. Um, yeah. So today, I was sort of um, inspired by some other podcasts, and I texted you and said, "Hey, why don't we why don't we go through the Coen Brothers movie catalog one by one and do some episodes." Um, about those movies in chronological order. And I think, and you said, I think in all caps, you were like, I want to do that. Yeah. Right? Right. I think the inspiration here is probably Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. Right. Yeah. 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 Which is a great podcast um, hosted by W. Kamal Bell and Kevin Avery and various guests that they have. I'm really behind on it at the moment. I'm probably like six episodes behind because uh, I am no longer in a in a I'm no longer in a place in my life where I can listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> oh. I just don't have I just don't have the time that I used to. So I I struggle to stay current. Well, that podcast, podcast, I don't know how you listen to it, but 
to me for me that podcast is not one that I like it's one that I I look up what movies they're going over and then I I go get the movie from the library and li- and watch the movie and then I go and listen to the podcast. Mm. No, see I just listen to, to the podcast without watching the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cuz I um, found I got a lot out of I mean certain movies I've seen a million times like their episode about Glory required no rewatching for me because I've seen that movie so often. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then other ones, I enjoy it even if I haven't seen the movie they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Like, if I've seen it, that's true. If I've seen the movie a bunch, I think I've seen Man on Fire and Training Day probably a million times. Um, yeah. But I can't remember. I think I went, I think I watched both of those and then listened to the episode. Um, I don't know. I get more out of it that way. But yeah. I suggest, I suggest people. Uh, I mean, you can listen to these episodes however you want to. But there's going to be our episodes. But there'll be spoilers all all over the place for the movies. Oh, yeah. So blanket spoiler alert for this and all Coen Brothers movies. I would say. Yeah, yeah. So and by this, what are we? What what this are we talking about here? What do you mean? Oh, well, what what movie? Yeah. Oh well, we're going to be talking about Blood Simple because mm-hmm. we're starting at the beginning. But but um. But yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yes, sir. Um, uh, yeah. So there's going to be spoilers all over the place. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's a cool way to do it. You know, watch the movie, come listen to this thing. You know, maybe that's the way to do this, or yeah. not. Or if you've seen him a million times, just listen to it. Or if you don't want to watch the movie, just listen to us. Who who cares? Whatever you want to do. Um, not like we can control people with our brains anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, this is the first one. I thought maybe, I thought maybe we could talk just a little bit about the um, the Coen Brothers in general. Okay. Before we jump into the specificity of the movie. Okay. Um. But yeah, the because I think there's some interesting things like. Well, I mean, not that many, but but um, they're from Minnesota, which is where I live now. True. Over in St. Louis Park, so that's kind of cool. Yes. Um, do you think their home is a historic landmark now? Hmm. I don't. Probably so. not. I, <laughs> that would be quite something. I wonder if whoever lives in that home currently uh, know that. That is the home. I could, um, I could try and find it and then, um, scope it out. You know, scope it out and yeah, and what do that uh, do that awkward thing like. What if it's uh, some of our friends who live in St. Louis Park? Un- that would be what if cool. unbeknownst to them, they live in the Coen Brothers ancestral home? That would be awesome. That would be but awesome. It would be like that scene in. Um, in about Schmidt, where he goes to find his family, his old family home. Do you remember that scene? And yeah. um, and it's a tire kingdom. Um, and so he's standing, he's standing, looking out the glass windows, and the salesman comes up and he says, "I used to live right here." <laughs> you know, Alexander Payne could be another uh, candidate for. Oh man, I I agree. I agree. Man, I maybe love... we should do Alexander Payne after we finish the Coen Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I'd be totally up for that. 
I would be up for that too. I, I love those. Um, I love his movies. So, um, yeah, so they went, you know, it looks like, it looks like, um, they went to college in Massachusetts somewhere. Um, their dad was an economist at the university of Minnesota, which I have strong ties to myself yeah, at this point. Ties. In fact, you know, it, it, um, we were talking about this. Emily's grandfather was a professor of um, accounting there at what would have been the same time, certainly. Oh, yeah. Do and you I think if he knew him? If he knows, if he knew him, I wonder if we could somehow get him to reminisce about. That would be impossible. Uh, oh, is he passed on? Yes. <laughs> Oh. It's a good thought, but unfortunately, it would be impossible. Oh man! Well, yeah. we'll find a séance person, yeah. <laughs> and we'll do it that way. Let's get Roger uh, memories of the Cohen brothers' father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the you know, and so there, there's some extracurricular work that we could do off on the side too, because um, they Joel worked on the Evil Dead in 1981. And then, right after that, uh, made a movie in 1984. So, if we wanted to, we could do like a little offshoot. Right. Hey, here's here's the Evil Dead. Right. Um, yeah. That so, there's actually a number of opportunities for that sort of thing because the Coen Brothers. There's movies on which they were a writer, but not right. the main writer. You know, and yes, yeah. the movie Gambit. Apparently, they were the sole writers, but they didn't direct it. So one it's of a, the questions that will come up as we do this podcast is, what is a Coen Brothers film? Oh, that's I, true. Yeah, I had initially thought, well, it, just the ones that they directed. But, you know, they did do the sole writing of that movie, Gambit. And they I, did, which is, which is yeah. interesting because um, that's, a, that's a strange foray into um, – Marvel Comics uh, <laughs> territory. I would like to, you know, I wonder what kind of slant they put on the the um, the Bayou the right. Bayou superhero right. who who empowers well, the, sort of, the cards the with with uh, kinetic <laughs> kinetic energy kinetic energy. The deep south vistas of Oh Brother Where Art Thou were really a dry run for Gambit. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> That might actually, I, yeah. Uh, what uh, that would be interesting if they at some point were like, you know, we're just gonna do this. We're we're gonna we're selling out and we're we're making Guardians of the Galaxy three. Yeah, they could. Um. <laughs> so so uh wait but so we're we'll get to the we'll get to the film first. Let's say what what are our top three um Coen Brothers movies before watching. Before starting this project, what okay. what what are what are our top three? Yeah. Go ahead. So before I sat down and made this list last night, before watching Blood Simple last night, my top three in no particular order are No Country for Old Men, The Big Lebowski, and Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Those are the top mm -hmm. three for me. The yeah. two that were really the two that were really close and just barely missed the cut were. Fargo, and A Serious Man. Oh, yeah. For me, I think it is... Uh, number one is, is Big Lebowski for me. 
and then two and three are Fargo, and uh, the third one's tough for me because I, you know, I have a very weirdly strong relationship with Lewin Davis, with Inside mm. Lewin Davis. Okay, did you, you watch it twice? Right, I watched it twice in two days. Yeah, yeah, and well. and then I and then I watched it again, like. It, and it's weird because that, uh, you know, you know my musical tastes, and I am not a guy who's like I am all about the folk music, like, <laughs> not not at all. No. Um, but and that and that movie features it heavily. But for some reason, but you I don't are know, it's all just... about the kind of protagonist portrayed in that movie. Oh yeah, that's true. Man, yeah, that guy. Super good. I mean, there's parallels to be drawn with other, uh, like, you, you feel, I think it's fair to say, a strong <laughs> attachment to anti-heroes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love a good anti-hero. Mm-hmm. It's true. And it's debatable um, whether Lewin Davis even is an anti-hero, but certainly there's certain anti-hero tropes that that movie falls in with. Lewin Davis is much like uh, Larry David. <laughs> <laughs> In that, on, at first glance, you think in Curb Your Enthusiasm, every Larry is the jerk. When in actuality, I would I would make the argument that everybody around Larry overreacting to his minor like just weirdisms is what makes the show. He's not really that awful. He's just kind of like, you know, eh, I don't I I don't want to take a house tour, and then. You know, that results in these terrible things. And Lewin mm. Davis is the same way. It is a he's, similar he's kinda, thing. He's I think that Lewin Davis is a bit more sympathetic than Larry David. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's but, no accounting for taste. <laughs> that's um, true. What, uh, and and um, the, oh, I remember. Let me, let me pull up those, let me pull up those questions. I'm disorganized here. Um, uh, um, what was your, what was the first Coen Brothers movie that you remember seeing? The first Coen Brothers movie I remember seeing is Fargo, and I remember I think I I saw it on home video. I didn't see it in the theater. It was after it was nominated for Oscars and stuff. Did it win Best Picture? Uh, I can't remember. Well, um, either way, I think I saw it after that Oscars season, mm-hmm. and um. I remember really liking it and I remember feeling like it was I remember feeling that somewhat validated in my advanced tastes by the fact that I liked it. <laughs> meaning meaning I, I, I knew know, that I it was like a prestige kind of film. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it was kind of um I knew that it was something that people that educated people felt was good. And I remember thinking that because I liked it, that must mean that I'm one of these educated highfalutin people, <laughs> which is, what, which is the way a 12 year old or however old I was 13 year old brain works, you know, it's yeah. It's the way a lot of people's brains works. I think, um, brains work. So Man, I, I, I wasn't really having... aware of the, who the Coen brothers were. Like when I watched that movie, I was unaware that, this was the newest film from a sort of particular filmmaking team. 
that had right. put out before that point, like five or six other movies. I wasn't aware of that. Right. It, for, uh, um, I think I had a similar reaction to you to Fargo. I don't, I can't remember if that was the first one that I saw. I think Big Lebowski was the first one that I saw. Um, but I remember just, um, where, I can't even remember where I saw it. I think I was watching it probably by myself, um, on DVD at one point. And, um, that shot where Jerry is, I, no, no, it's the shot where Steve Buscemi's walking to the car and it's it's the completely overhead crane shot mm. where your brain, at least my brain, didn't even process what I was looking at until somebody walked into the frame. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where he's walking through the snow and you see the tops of the of the uh, lights. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was watching that. It, it was that moment that I was like, this is amazing. I don't know why that it, that, it was just that singular moment where I was like, this is artsy and cool, but like, yeah, I, I really, really liked it. Right. So how do you think the Coen brothers are regarded, broadly oh. speaking? What is their Oh, wait, wait, but the, um... Go ahead. Wait, before we move on from, uh, the... So the first movie I did see by them was The Big Lebowski. Oh, okay. And yeah. my brother, my brother was the one that encouraged me to watch it. He was like, I think you're really going to like this movie. Um, and he was in college. He's a year, he was a year ahead of me. So I think I saw it, I either saw it at home, I couldn't have seen it, uh, yeah, I think I watched it at home, um, and, uh, at at his, at, at, at his recommendation, and, um, I remember I didn't, before I saw the movie, I had heard about it, and I got it confused with Kingpin, which I think came out the same year, because they were Mm. both bowling movies, yeah. It was like the year of bowling movies. Right. So um, I thought what I was getting into was some just like ridiculous slapstick comedy, you know? Mm-hmm. So the fact that my brother was like, oh, watch this movie, you'll love it. Like, well, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't really love movies like that. But, uh, you know, okay. And then I was bored one day and watched it. And and then I realized, oh, that's why. That's why he said I would like this movie. This is not. This is I was not gonna Woody say, Harrelson. I was gonna. I was gonna make the same Kingpin comparison, and I was actually gonna save that till we get to our Big Lebowski mm. episode. But we'll get into it. We'll get, we'll into, get it into it. Later, it. Yeah. But yeah, I think that in fact, that's the marketing of Big Lebowski kind of leaned into that comparison. I think. I remember the commercials on TV for it, and. I remember that one of the scenes that featured very prominently in that in the commercials for The Big Lebowski on TV was mm-hmm. the scene where Liam and the Jesus are like yeah. washing their bowling balls and it looks and it looks really ridiculous because they're holding their bowling balls in front of their crotch and wiping them with this cloth. Like, right, yeah. That was featured prominently and so that really gave the impression that the movie was going to be a kingpin kind of comedy. You know? But anyway, yeah. I won't say any more about the Big Lebowski until we get to that. Right, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I saw that, and then I think I went back and watched Fargo, cause, or one way or the other. But um, did I? I think that's how it worked. Um, and, yeah, I just uh, really, they, those those two movies just sunk their teeth into me, or vice versa, and um, and I really, really started to enjoy their stuff. 
So your top so, three to review are Big Lebowski, mm -hmm. Fargo, and Lewin Davis. I gotta say, yeah, I gotta say Lewin Davis. I think. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah. So um, and then, okay. So your question. Go ahead. What was? No, I I just my question is, what do you think the place of the Coen brothers is in the sort of wider cinematic landscape? How are they regarded, generally? Oh, well, so I think that's changing, right? Like, I think, so I think at first they were sort of regarded as, as maybe like this, this avant-garde, like, weird directors, like quirky, you know, um... And, uh, but I mean, quickly they got, they got the, you know, the nomination for best screenplay and, and all of that stuff. But still, I think they're regarded as like having this weird sense of humor and, um, um, I don't know, maybe they, they appeal to, to a certain, um, movie nerd, if I can put it that way. Right. But... I, I there was a distinct shift with one of the movies that I feel like they put themselves into a completely different category and I and I wondered if they were moving that direction and when I saw specifically when I saw True Grit I thought um which by the way is one of my probably one of my least favorites by them mm. I I like you know I mean I love Jeff Bridges and I like parts of his his um performance in that but as a whole i would say that's one of my least favorite uh coen brothers movies and that i think they shifted that that movie did not display them as being like this weird um weird humor tongue-in-cheek uh directors who uh, who appealed to like movie nerds that was definitely a movie that was made for 60 and sixty years old and up, like, right. uh, like when they, Wait, you when think, they, you think it was made. You think that True Grit was for sixty year old and up? I think that they oh, were man. definitely that they were definitely going for that audience. Yeah, I think yeah. that they like, mm. like, it, like it was a it was it was just kind of like a safe. Um, it was like a, it was like a safe movie. It was really trying to like. Do a, you know go back and 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 reference the John Wayne movie? So I feel like it was just this nostalgia for that type of movie, and perhaps. therefore, and perhaps therefore, we should also just yeah we yeah, can, yeah yeah we can, perhaps we should save these thoughts for when we get <laughs> that's to true. True Grit. That's true. That's true. But because uh, I think I might disagree with you, but I'll have to see the movie again before we can fully have this conversation. I think. Yeah. So what's but, you, and so what's your perception of them in, in so, the cinematic landscape? So I think that their biggest moment, their biggest moment of fame, was like towards the late '90s, early 2000s, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And then they had a couple of duds, and then they they won their Oscar with No Country for Old Men. So uh, that sort of revived them. But I think that they were at their sort of most famous and most revered in the '90s when they were sort of the it filmmakers. And since then, people don't talk about them as the it filmmakers, filmmakers any longer. But you know, um, they remain 
very highly regarded. And I think they remain very mm -hmm. popular. I think that they're pretty unique, maybe not new unique. They're among those directors that are both critically acclaimed and very popular with just general audiences, I think, for the most part. I think that not all of their fame, their films have been as successful as all of them. They've, they've, they, they don't have only hits, but I think that a lot of their films are widely beloved. Um, and I think that especially, um, especially certain ones are just like very, very much canon these days in American film history. I, yeah, I I would agree with you as far as as far as people who really like movies. Mm -hmm. You know, I think everything that you just said was true. However, and you know, we've we've encountered some uh some some of our friends in the past who they're also they're also filmmakers who I like somehow just get people's ire up, you know? And that, I, and I the think the person you're referring to is literally the only person I've ever encountered that has had that reaction. I've had I've had interactions with people who don't have as severe a reaction, but I do <laughs> I do encounter people who are like, eh, I don't really like those movies." Hmm. And I think like I like I think people who like movies will have something to say about the Coen brothers and like it, one way or another will will mostly will have one movie out of those that they can talk about and like. Mm -hmm. um, I think people who just go to the movies and are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see the new uh, Adam Sandler movie. I, I don't think I don't think they're as widely. Uh, I don't think there there's as wide of an appeal there. You know, I agree. And, and I, I agree that there's not as wide of an appeal. I guess I would still come down on the side of saying that even among the people who go see the Adam Sandler movies, I bet at least one of the Coen Brothers movies would be counted among a movie that they like. Like, the, uh, yeah, the Adam Sandler know. fan might like The Big Lebowski. The Adam Sandler I, fan might like, you know, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So forth. Maybe, but the the reason I think the reason that I'm that that I disagree is 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 because I do feel like their movies have a certain have a certain like tone to them, you mm -hmm. know, and you you sort of have to like agree to be in on the joke and the dry and like there's certain type of humor. That is true. That is true. You know? So yeah. I, I do think like some people don't, don't like that sense of humor and don't mm -hmm. want to be in on the joke. You know? I think that's true. So, that's true. That makes sense. And I think that yeah. there are certain movies of theirs that that's especially true for like uh, a serious man. I think it's, I think a serious man yeah. uh, Keep... is maybe more, more of the inside Cohen type joke than some people can handle. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, I really love that movie, but I think I know I, I know some people who I dearly love and respect for whom it was just a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um so fair enough. Yeah. Well, should uh, should we get into the movie itself? Let's get into the movie itself. What wait before that I got a surprise for you, Bill. I didn't tell you about this. <gasps> You got Before. the Coen Brothers to come on the podcast? Uh, almost as good. Okay. Are you are you ready for this? This I'm is ready. gonna be really exciting. Okay, before we start to review the movie, uh -huh. we we actually have a sponsor. We have a sponsor oh. for this movie. Wonderful. Yeah. Um so uh let's see if let I can guess. do this. Wait, let me guess. This is a no no let's no. Wait, no 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Don't don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. All right, all right. Um don't ruin it. 
Um, so let's see if I can do this. Hey, Bill, um, are you do you do you use lots of uh, bathroom products? Do you, is your is your uh, shelf cluttered with? I do have a lot of know. bathroom products. I, I'm, and I'm known to I, be a man with a very specific bathroom routine. Wouldn't it be nice to limit the number of bathroom products that you use? Yes, it would. I'm Wouldn't also that be nice? a man known to value efficiency and value a paring down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we all are. So, <laughs> would you say that something that accomplishes five things at the same time that would probably that would probably be worthwhile, wouldn't it? That's like music to my ears. Yeah. So, Cub Foods, uh, original. No rub, multi-purpose contact solution might be for you. Oh my goodness! Wait a second. That's right. Wait a second. And Wait a it second. accomplishes Wait several things at Wait once. Wait a minute. What would no, you no, no, no. listen? Oh. Listen. What would you go ahead? Go ahead. First of all, okay, I need contact solution, but I know you do. It's it's a little bit too much to ask of <laughs> contact solution to be sterile. You know what I mean? It's already mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. already a liquid. You see where I'm going with this? Put to a, put, they've already had to like test it out and put it into a bottle and make sure that it will store your contacts and make sure that it'll be easy on your eyes. That's a lot of work, and I think that it's yeah. just too high a bar to demand that it also be sterile. You know what I'm Cub, saying? I do, but I it's hard to believe, but Cub Foods original multi-purpose no rub contact solution is sterile. What? Yes. Not only that, you would think, okay, it's sterile, no rub. I like those two things. That's it. Nope. Uh, you probably have an additional solution sitting on your counter right now that also mm. cleanses. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. You got, so first you do the – well, you don't have to rub, and then it's sterile, but it can't possibly clean or cleanse. You, you wouldn't the think cub, it could possibly do that. No. No, Cub Foods multi-purpose no rub solution does that. It cleans. It you you know you know rub it you. You know rub it. You, you know, know rub it. Ru you know rub it. You lie very big, Doctor Jones. <laughs> you can use the you can use it daily. It's sterile. It cleanses. Oh, <laughs> it it's sterile. It's no rub. <laughs> Um, I would think with all of yeah. that that it would be rub, but you're telling me it's no rub. No, I'm telling you no rub, <laughs> or the package is telling me no rub. In any well, case, what a lovely sponsor. I know. Thank you, thank you, Cub Foods Original Formula Multi-Purpose No Rub Contact Solution for Soft Contact Lenses, which cleanses, rinses, disinfects stores. It even stores. <laughs> oh my god, it stores. Uh, and you can use the daily too. Oh, so daily. you um, don't even have to change it up. You don't even have to get other ones to change it up with. You can use it daily. That's no, nice. yeah. And if you go to cubfoods.com and enter the code one one telegram, uh, you might get a discount. You might. You could. It won't increase the price. 
I, I never I never did see that code in, increase the price of a contact lens. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. All right. Okay. Uh, that was okay. So it um we do accept sponsors. Yeah. All right. Uh so moving on. Mm-hmm. Blood Blood Simple. Blood Simple. Oh wait. Wait, I took some notes. Hang on, I gotta locate my note my little notebook. Hang on, we can edit this part out. Hang on. Got a puppet do on the on the couch. Mm-hmm. You got a puppy dog. You a good puppy dog. You happy all your people are back in the house? All your people are back home. All right, I'm back. All right. Okay. Blood simple. You want to you want to start us off with a brief synopsis? Sure. Blood Simple is the story of a young woman named Abby who is married to a wealthy bar owner in Texas. The bar owner's name is uh Oh dear. What is his name? His name's Marty. Marty. No. Married to Marty, but she's having an affair with one of his employees, a bartender named Ray. Ray. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Marty finds out about this and he hires a private investigator named Lauren Visser to take photos of them. And then he eventually, uh, after a confrontation with Ray, uh, hires Lauren Visser to kill them. Lauren Visser, instead of doing this, kills Marty and frames Abby for the crime by planting her gun at the scene. Mm-hmm. Ray later comes by, finds Marty dead, finds Abby's gun, and assume Abby did it. So, in order to protect Abby, wants to cover up the crime by burying Marty. Marty turns out he's not dead, and in a very chilling scene, he's trying to get away. He's crawling down the highway, and then Ray eventually buries him alive. Ray becomes very distraught and gets upset with Abby for killing Marty, thereby forcing him to you know, basically traumatize himself by burying this man alive. Uh, but, of course, he doesn't understand that Lauren Visser, the, the the private investigator, is the one who actually did it. Eventually, right. Lauren Visser wants to kill both. Uh, Lauren Visser comes to understand that uh, Ray discovered Marty dead or nearly dead. So then he decides that he needs to kill both of them to cover up his tracks. Mm-hmm. And he one night eventually comes around to attack Abby and Ray in Abby's apartment. He kills Ray with a rifle shot. Uh, all along, Abby doesn't, uh, doesn't even know that Marty's dead and thinks that it's Marty, the one coming after them. At the very end, Lauren Visser is like creeping up on Abby in her apartment and she flees to the adjacent apartment through the window. And as Lauren Visser is trying to get in there, she stabs him in the hand and then later she shoots him through a door, the whole time believing it's Marty coming after him. And the last m- moment of the movie sh- says, uh, Lauren Visser's like lying on the floor of the bathroom dying. And when he hears her say, I'm not afraid of you, Marty, he starts laughing because it's so cosmically funny that he's just died from by this woman who he was trying to kill 
and all along she thought that he was the man that he himself had killed a day before and then mm-hmm. the movie ends so it's a noir yeah. suspense thriller set in texas it's set in contemporary texas the movie was made in 1984 i have no reason to believe that the movie's not just set in sort of the contemporary time period the contemporary right, scene yeah. period um it's got a very small cast thus there's basically those three speaking roles plus maybe two others there's maurice the other bartender and there's the woman that maurice is talking to at one point um so it it almost yeah. it has a sort of throwback to earlier noir thriller type of vibe it sort of is a bit of a thematic throwback to noir movies of the 50s and 40s um yeah it was one brother's first film it's their the first film that they wrote and directed it yeah and the so you know the the hearkening back to the to the noir movies of earlier times i think i i can't think of a movie that stands out to me more that's a representation of this i i should say a representation of like noir uh updated you know mm-hmm. um uh i can't think of a movie before this one that it, that epi- epitomizes that and i and that idea of like okay we're going to take this noir um we're going to take the noir uh, uh, uh formula and put it into different scenarios is sort of what they're known for, right? Like to, or at least one of the things that they're known for. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think maybe that's why I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I think that's why maybe big Lebowski was tough to market because that hadn't become part of the, the like movie or cultural dialogue yet, or it was, but, but they just didn't know how to how to talk about it. Right. It's like no, it's 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 a funny crime noir thing. Right. Um, yeah, but it's very um, hard to encapsulate that in a trailer, let alone a thirty second TV spot. Yeah, I, I think now now they people you could do that and people would understand what you're doing. You yes, know? I think that's true. Um, uh, but. Um, yeah, in in the movie, uh, Dan Hydea plays Marty, um, mm-hmm. and I think he's married to Rita Perlman. Is that true? Am I making that up? I don't know. Um, Suffice it to say, this film features two of the most famous chins in Hollywood, um, <laughs> because both Dan <laughs> Hydea and Frances McDormand are known for their chins. And. Uh, M. Emmett Walsh is known for his lack of chin. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, we should have you know, said Dan Hedaya plays Marty. Francis McDormand plays Abby. M. Emmett Walsh plays uh, Lauren Visser. Lauren Visser, which I, I don't think they ever say that. his name, do they? No, they don't. They just have the, the cigarette lighter that says Lauren on it. Mm-hmm. Which is, the yeah. to clarify, the, the male Lauren, L-O-R-E-N. Right, yeah. Yeah, um, man, the, and his, I, I am still so just, uh, weirded out by, by his performance in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like he starts out, um, 
Warren, you know, the character of Warren, he starts out just like you, you see him in um, in Marty's office and he's turning the, the pictures over to him. And he's just a gross buffoon. He's just an idiot, really. Right. Like, like he's dressed in that all yellow suit with like the matching straw yellow hat, and he has a thick Texas accent. Right. And um, he just looks like a cartoon character. He kind of remains uh, a cartoon character, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That that's fair. Yeah. But so before we proceed any further, should we say, prior to this rewatching. Uh, what? Oh. How did you regard Blood Simple? At where did it rank? Oh, uh, it, well, it definitely. It, like I said, it wasn't in my top three. It. I thought of it as. I don't know that my opinion changed very much after this rewatching. Um, I think, if anything, to be honest with you, I think it fell a little bit. I think my opinion of it. I would went say, down a few ranks, yeah. but okay, but so. I liked it. I, I thought it was a, a super violent crime thing that I thought was really cool, and I wanted to make people watch it who hadn't seen it before, yeah. because it's an intense. It is an intense movie, especially for the intense. time. Yeah, it's yeah. intense for the time. I would say that I had only seen it once before, and it was a long time ago. I would have said, I don't know exactly where I would rank it, but it's definitely near the bottom. Mm-hmm. This rewatching, I think, convinced me that it it probably occupies last place in my oh wow in my ranking. Yeah, it probably. I don't know. I just remember the lady killers. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's true. But uh, it's it's definitely at or near the bottom, and I kind of hate to say that because I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on it too much because I think there's a lot to admire here and there's a lot of signs of things to come. Yeah, but exactly. It's like, That's yeah. It's like it's like. Is it is it fair to to improve my opinion simply because of what come later? I was like, oh, I see. Oh, look that that they referenced this sort of thing later. Oh, this I can see a kernel of some of the really cool stuff they yeah. do in later films. Yeah. Well, yeah. This, if I was to magically erase all knowledge of other Cohen films from my mind and then rewatch Blood Simple, I wouldn't get the pleasure out of any of that stuff. Um, yeah. So. They yeah they definitely perfect that other stuff and and I like almost all of my little scribbled notes that I that I wrote down were oh this this has a correlation to that in this other movie this has a correlation to that mm-hmm. but um yeah but it, it let me let me go back to what I was saying about um M Emmett Walsh in that part because that that is that's the maybe like foreshadowing of of how they handle this combination of like comedy and super violence because he's, if you were to like in, in like movie language, you see him on the screen just from that first scene where he's, he's handing the the pictures over and he's doing that really obnoxious laugh and he's sweaty and he's just looks so absurdly ridiculous. Right. You would not think that that guy is, capable of doing anything menacing let alone anything conniving and menacing you know right it's just it's like he's just an idiot he's just a gross buffoon idiot Mm -hmm. um with maybe some hints in that first scene of like how in the future he his 
his uh, menace is going to come out just right. with the way he laughs and stuff. Yeah. So, man, I thought, like, while I hate that character and it kind of pains, pains me to see him on the screen, I like that we go from that to him coming up with the frame up and, like, using the, you know, using the, the, the big rifle or sniper rifle or whatever he had, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. being... And then, like punching through the wall at that one point to get it to get it, uh, Francis McDermott, right? Like, like all of those things happening with that character, I feel like that's the Coen Brothers showing, showing where they're they're sort of like thinking outside the box really comes in. Totally, yeah, totally, I agree. I think that, yeah, I think absolutely that. I think some of their stylistic innovations, not innovations per se, but their 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 stylishness of their shots. I think of, in particular of the, the way they film the, the field that Ray buries Marty in with, that is lit, lighted only by the headlights of the car. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. how you see it the next morning, the tire, he's still in the field the next morning and the tire tracks are there. And you can see how at nighttime it was this very bleak, almost moonscape of a place where he buried Marty. But then by day, it ends up looking like a very, very normal little domestic scene because there's that farmhouse right there, which is really not even that far away from where he buried him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really I, I thought that that part was really great. Um, I liked some of the building of tension. As, uh, for example, the, the scene, there's a scene that takes place in Ray's house between Ray and Abby and the newspaper boy throws a newspaper and it hits the wall. It hits the door. And (laughs) for a second you think something terrible is happening. Like someone's throwing a bomb into their house or they're both going to die. It's just the newspaper hitting the screen, but it startles them. And the way they filmed it was designed to startle us as well because the, the, the newspaper like appears in the frame all of a sudden. And there's this weird slow-mo effect when it happens. It's really kind of freaky. Mm-hmm. Um, that part was good. I thought the the score, which I assume is by Carter Burwell, their frequent music collaborator. Um, um yeah. I'll, uh, yep, yep. That was good. Like the the sort of very minimal piano chords with a little, you know, chords in the left hand and a little high note in the right hand. Very similar p- piano score, I think, to um, a serious man. Mm-hmm. Just just minimal little piano lines it was very effective. It, there there was parts of the score that that um, you could tell Carter Burwell was still trying to figure things out with this movie because he included some things that I thought were good, but I haven't heard them used mm-hmm. in other Coen Brothers movies. Mm-hmm. Like during the fight scene, did you notice there there's there's um, I think it was it was the the fight the first fight scene between Marty and Ray mm-hmm. when Ray is in Marty uh, when Marty is in Ray's house right and you see the dog and you know the dog's in there and and uh and then uh Marty grabs it's not a fight scene between Marty and Ray it's a far, it's a fight scene between Marty and Abby where uh Marty grabs Abby and then there's this weird, really, really strange breathing noise that keeps happening. Yeah. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's, it's part of the score. Like, it's not, it's not, um, 
dia, diegetic, or is it, is it pronounced diegetic or diag? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Diegetic sound meaning the the thing is happening in the frame; it's not happening off frame. Mm, so yeah, yeah, uh, that was weird. That was really weird, but pretty cool. I thought. Yeah, like I agree. Like I I feel like they the they the the soundtrack they went a little bit like 80s ish in some parts i can't picture them uh, picture carter burrell doing something like that now yeah like it was true. it was pretty um yeah very synthy yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um yeah man i i feel like i want to i want to just uh ramble off these things that i jotted down like the um like you were saying that it's it, this movie to me was like a proof of concept for all of their other stuff like the opening the opening where we have this long shot of just a road with a damaged tire on it and then the voiceover happening um i mean the long the long shot setting the scene for the movie happens in a ton of other Coen brothers movies right right like, Big Lebowski and and No Country for Old Men, um, then the uh, you see this car stopping at a far enough distance away, like when uh, the VW Bug that Lauren drives. Right. At one point, it's far enough away that you can see the bug, but you can't see who's inside, right. and it sort of just lingers on that shot. That. That composure of that shot, I feel like, is repeated a ton in Coen Brothers movies, and there's something so jarring about it. Like, I think lesser directors would let you see who's in the car, right? You know, yeah. Or like, or like, maybe spoon feed it to you a little bit more, right? I I don't know. And then the the yeah, go ahead. Oh, I I was just gonna say, and the fact that Lauren is a private is a private detective. Who drives a bug is, I mean, that's exactly um, the guy from Big Lebowski, you know? Right, right. The brother Seamus. The brother, the brother Seamus, yeah. Um, I agree with you that there was, so I, I sort of both agree and disagree with you. I think that it was definitely a proof of concept of many elements that they use in their mm-hmm. later movies. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the overall tone and impact of the movie I felt it was really very unlike most of their other movies in particular the main reason being um, the very very minimal importance of dialogue in Blood Simple I think when it like the thing that I love so much about Coen Brothers movies is the way characters are conveyed through dialogue through so many of the Coen Brothers characters are like really, really talky, voluble people. And Mm -hmm. other ones maybe don't talk quite as much, but when they do, they they have particular frustrations or tics or ways that they express themselves that are super particular and super memorable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that this movie has none of that. Like, Mm -hmm. this is probably, almost certainly the, the movie of theirs with the least dialogue overall. Yeah, yeah. I think in tone, it's pro- the tone of this movie is perhaps most similar to No Country for Old Men. But No Country for Old Men has these really, really talky characters from 
Tommy Lee Jones to Anton Chigurh, and so much about these characters is conveyed through their dialogue, and so much of the tension is built just by the dialogue. Um, while Blood Simple relies on long, tense moments of no dialogue, which yeah, can yeah. be effective, but I don't think that's the Coen brothers' strength. I think their strength is when their characters are talking, talking, talking. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I would agree that it's one of their strengths. Mm-hmm. I think this one they were they were totally like shoring up their their visual um their like their like visual vocabulary, you know. Yeah, it's like I agree. It's like because it, it, yeah, the I I totally agree. There's there's not much dialogue in this, um, and but visually the movie the movie works so well just because just because um of the things that we already talked about, like the, the newspaper hitting the thing and, and, um, these long shots that, that are signatures of theirs. Mm-hmm. I think if you didn't have those aspects in a Coen brothers movie, it, it wouldn't really feel like a Coen brothers movie. Yeah. That's um, true. and, and, uh, also that's why this doesn't really sort of feel like a Coen brothers movie because you remove the other aspect of it, which you just talked about, which is the, the, the dialogue part. Mm-hmm. It, there's still glimmers of it in there. Like they do that in a lot of Coen Brothers movies. They do this thing where somebody will say a phrase. One character says a phrase, right? Right. And then another character who has not heard that phrase says that phrase. Mm-hmm. You know. So here it was. Uh, um, Ray kept saying, "Look, I'm not a marriage counselor." To, right. to Marty. I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a marriage counselor. And then I forget who said it later on. Somebody else then, was it the bartender that said, hey man, I'm not a marriage counselor. Yeah. yeah or, or maybe it was Marty that said that. Um, yeah. That was the one, that was just the one aspect of Coen Brothers dialogue. That, there was that. that. I thought, yeah, that's true. That is yeah. an example. Yeah. Or, or, Sometimes it's when a character who hasn't heard the phrase, or sometimes it's when a character who has the, heard the phrase. You know, um, mm-hmm. perhaps the best example is when, uh, when. Okay, it's hard. It's hard not to reference other films. I'm just going to have to abandon my little rule of not talking about other movies. No, too yeah, much. I think I think we can um, do it. I think we can uh, talk about that. In the Big Lebowski, when, when, uh, the, when the rich Lebowski and Brant take the dude into the limo to yell at him for being too slow on, you know, getting the wife back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, the dude is trying to explain himself and the way he's trying to explain himself is all like little phrases that he's heard other people say to him previously yeah, in the yeah. movie. New shit has come to light. This aggression will not stand. Uh, uh, it, it might not just be such a simple, uh, things are a lot more complex. Uh, you, you know, like everything he's saying is, is cribbed from things other people have said. And he's casting about trying to sound smart, which yeah. is so perfect because that is a perfect, that is a perfect, like observation that when people are in a tight spot, damn, we're in a tight spot. When people are in a tight spot, they're cast about for little phrases that make them sound a little bit smarter, you know? Yeah. This is something that yeah. freshmen do in college when they're writing their essays and they're like <laughs> they cast about for phrases that sound a little bit highfalutin. Um, right, yeah. That's that true. That happens throughout so many of their movies. 
Um, yeah. That's one of the things I like so much about it. The, yeah, the you know, I mean, uh, this is sort of a blanket statement, and maybe maybe it summarizes it too much, but the reason I don't think this feels like a Coen Brothers movie is because there's not it's not funny ever. I mean, that's there's true. maybe like one moment of the the funniest character in there is um, the bartender Maurice. Yeah, Maurice. He was like, the be- like he was the most enjoyable character. Yeah, and yeah. and. He was funny in the stuff that he did, not necessarily in the stuff that he said, but right. like, you know, after that, like, honky-tonk band is done playing or whatever, he, you know, he he jumps over the, he jumps over the bar and has those specific steps, right? Like, right. there's the steps on the other side of the bar to allow him to walk down right. and then goes over to the jukebox and he's just so cool that the guy who's about to be at the jukebox just kind of steps away and he's like yep look it's my turn to put on the four tops yep um i kind of want to see maurice in a different coen brothers movie yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah he was he was awesome um yeah uh yeah i don't know Uh, maybe the, the i i think that's most of the substantive things that i had to say that all it's it's just like we just said. It's a it's a movie that references the future of, of what they are going to do. Like mm-hmm. there's the there's the incinerator behind the behind the uh, the bar that right. he says you can get rid of the body that way, and that that I thought was really cool that they didn't wind up using that. You know, you you put the idea in the audience's head that we're going to throw these bodies into the incinerator. You right. don't ever, and it doesn't happen. Like th- that it's great because we already, we already experienced it because we already thought about it, you right. know? Yeah. Um, but that incinerator references the wood chipper totally. later on. Yeah. And there's one thing that I've read about the Coen brothers is they'll, they'll be writing several different movies at once. Like they, they're writing a movie and if they kind of get stuck and they don't know what to do, they quit it. They go and write a different movie, and then they come back to it. So oh, okay. That might, I think, account for some of these cross-references. It might be because, you know, I don't know if this is the case. Um, but, for example, perhaps they were writing the ideas for Blood Simple and Fargo at the same time. And uh, the, the incinerator ended up paying off in the wood chipper. And even though those movies mm-hmm. came out 12 years apart, they may not have been written that far apart. Yeah, yeah. That um, makes sense. I believe that they wrote The Big Lebowski in the middle of writing something else. Um, I believe I read that. Yeah, I think I remember <laughs> reading that too. Yeah, I feel like I feel like just um they took aspects from this movie however it came about and they they tidied them up and made them better in other movies. Mm-hmm. Like Ray, like you said, he's a he's he's almost a version of uh, Llewellyn Moss mm-hmm. from uh, No Country for Old for Old Men. Yep. Um, yep. They were they were both in the service and they both are just you know the stoic um, doesn't say much right. kind of protagonist. You know, and it's funny to think the uh, inside uh, No Country for Old Men could be taking place at the same time as Blood Simple. You know, oh yeah. Because No Country yeah. for it could be Texas in the same year because No Country for Old Men has a somewhat vague early eighties. Uh, setting, yeah, you know? totally. So it could, in fact, be the same Texas, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
Um, well, should we should we rate it? Okay. Yeah. What's? Oh man, I don't know. We didn't come up We're... with a rating system. I think we should reference some Coen Brothers item, some some particular prop or piece of scenery. Oh yeah, you mean for each? So I would say, okay, so like each each I... star is a different prop. If we go that way, five is the dude's rug. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I was okay. So five is you the know? dude's rug. All right, let, that's it. That's even better than what I was saying. I was, I was oh, okay. what I was saying is, for example, between one and five dude rugs, or between oh, one and five oh, okay. uh, dirty undies, or something like that. But, oh man! Oh, that's well. One, well, one is dirty undies. Okay. Five is the dude's rug. All right. Um, let's see what what other ones. Um, oh, uh, uh. Uh, four could be Dapper Dan, you know. Can of da- yeah, can of Dapper Dan. Can of Dapper Dan. <laughs> Three could be. Uh, Three's in the middle, sort of mediocre. So three could um, be the the ice scraper. <laughs> the ice, yeah, the I ice. I don't know. <laughs> three is ice scraper. Um, can the, you want the mentaculus in there somewhere? The is two, is number two. Is two. <laughs> so I for me I don't think this is dirty undies because there's a there's a lot to admire. And the other thing we should clarify yeah. is this rating system referring to the standard of Coen Brothers films or the standard of any film? Because uh, I don't know. I don't because know. I feel like all of them are gonna be at least a three as compared to other movies. But Oh no, yeah, so just in reference just within, to each okay, other. Then I would say, yeah. well, if this is my least favorite, which it may very well be I think I'll say Dirty Undies just because yeah. it's enjoyable. There's there's a lot of elements to admire, but there's not the same pleasure. There's not the same Coen Brothers pleasure. Like even a movie as bleak and horrifying and depressing as No Country for Old Men, I take so much pleasure in watching the scenes that unfold between Anton Chigurh and the the poor man who works in the gas station, for example. Yeah, it's sort of yeah. a sick pleasure because it's so scary. But their exchanges, their their dialogue is is pleasurable to me because I enjoy picking apart the little ticks and the little yeah. particular ways that people say things. And yeah, this movie yeah, just the, doesn't give you that. I agree. Yeah, yeah, in watching those dialogue scenes like that. It's like it, the reason I, I think of them as pleasurable is because it feels like a game, you know, like, yeah. oh, oh, they're doing they're doing something. Wait, what did that mean? What did that reference? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I agree. That, um, uh, for me, I, I, I think I liked it a little bit more than you. I mm-hmm. think I started out at Ice Scraper and I think I'm after watching it again. I think I moved it down to Mentaculous. OK, so. That's so fair. it's a two. Yep. Yeah, I I would say I started out at Ice Scraper, um, and then moved down to, like I said, down to Mentaculous. And the reason the reason I I maybe I appreciate it a little bit more is just just like I said that I've never seen a, I've never seen um, an antagonist that evil and that goofy, you know? Like right. I I I hate that guy on so many levels, and it's astounding to me 
just how violent and like mm-hmm. and resourceful he is at the same time. So yeah. um, I really liked that aspect of it. Um, and plus, I love noir stuff. Right. It, supposedly, this is they based they based a couple of their movies on on um, books, and this one is supposedly sort of based on Red Harvest by Dashiell Hammett. Oh, okay. Um, so and and there's there's elements of classic noir in there, like yeah. the, like um, there the when he takes the piggy bank and bashes Ray in the head with it mm-hmm. that's an element of of noir that happens a lot which is yeah. where these objects that aren't used for violence are like now used for violence like yeah. somebody gets beat to death in in uh i think maltese falcon i think he gets beat to death with a phone mm. i can't yeah. remember but uh but yeah i'd say it's i'd say it's mentaculous level cool one you, that reminded me of something I did like that I noticed that I hadn't noticed the first time I saw this film, which was the uh, the one of the constant themes is the well being of people's hands. You have oh yeah. yeah yeah Marty gets bitten and he has to wear the finger brace and then upon seeing that Lauren tells the story of his friend who broke one of his hands and then fell and to protect the broken hand broke the other one so then his wife would help to you know have to help him wipe his ass and then of course in the end Lauren ends up getting stabbed in the hand and there's probably more hand issues throughout the movie that I didn't pick up on that's true yeah yeah Yeah. um the thought of having a knife plunge through your hand like happens at the end is is pretty pretty terrifying (laughs) yeah and there's there's shots with hands in it a lot too like when he's there's that close up when he's handing the handing the pictures over the, you see both of their hands if I'm remembering it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then you've got it, it the, all, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that scene, that one little scene, felt almost like a Wes Anderson shot. Mm. You know, the 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 camera is steady. The it's framed on this thing, and then something slides into view very precisely right in the middle. You know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Man, yeah. Wes Anderson would be another one we could do. We can do. We got years. We got years we got worth years, of content. Man, we do. We really do. All right. I think that. Oh. I think that pretty much wraps up. Blood simple. I think that. I think that wraps it up. Um, thanks to our sponsor. Don't rub it. Don't, Don't rub, rub it. that it no multi rub. multi-purpose right. cub food uh, eye wash. Yep. And if solution. You, and uh, and uh, we recommend to all our listeners that you that you pat your doggies and kitty pat cats dog. if you have them. You got a doggy here. You got a, This is the dog cast. This is yeah. It's That's turned the into the dog cast. He's <laughs> laying my Zobie's laying right next to me. My big, my big sixty pound, sixty pound mutt. Our hey, buddy. thirty-five pound mutt is curled up in the corner of the couch. He's about a. He's about one couch cushion away from me right now. Aww. Waldo, you good boy. All right. All right. All right. And that is it. And I'm going to hit the stop button now. Wait, wait. Wait. Stay by stay by your apparatus. Stay oh of course. Stay by your apparatus. Okay. Done.